It was a Sunday morning in March. My daughters and I had just left church and decided to stop for brunch at a popular local tavern. We entered a packed lobby. That's when the hostess let us know we could wait for a table or go ahead and seat ourselves in the bar. My daughters were 14 and 8 at the time. We had just left church, as I mentioned, and it didn't seem like the best decision to have lunch or brunch at the bar. So I informed the hostess, we'll wait for a seat in the restaurant. As we were waiting, my eyes picked up on the TV banks in the bar. Basketball. Not just any basketball, college basketball. Not just any college basketball, March Madness. It was then that I changed my mind. Family bonding over March Madness at the bar seemed like a great idea. This is Rich, and it's time to revive your work. My daughters and I pulled up our chairs to the bar. I noticed the game between Bradley and Pittsburgh. It was closely contested. Now, the scoreboard is on the top right of the TV screen. And they had the abbreviated names of the schools. For instance, Bradley, B-R-A-D, Pittsburgh, abbreviated P-I-T-T. My daughter, Taylor, said, look, Dad. When she said that, I thought, wow, this is exactly what I imagined. Look, we're so connected right now. I'm here watching this March Madness game. My daughters are here with me. They're also engrossed in the competition of March Madness. Then again, my daughter, Taylor, said, look, Dad. I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I, I see. It's a great game. It's close. Let's just, let's just pay attention so we don't miss anything. And then one final time, she said, no, Dad, look, look, Brad Pitt. Man, that was a stark reminder that when it comes to communication, it's easy to imagine we're aligned when often we're worlds apart. George Bernard Shaw put it like this, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. You know, the most effective way to bridge the chasm between the illusion of communication and effective communication is questions. So before moving into the power of well-designed and delivered questions, Let's start with risk. It can feel risky when we ask questions. You know, it can feel like we're losing control. When we stop talking and give the ball to someone else, we're never quite sure where the conversation might end up. Or it could feel risky 
because you might get a response you'd prefer not to hear. For instance, if you're in sales, ultimately, you'll have to ask for the business. And there's a chance you might hear the answer, no. So asking questions can feel risky. And there are some real challenges that might show up. And the only thing more risky than asking is not knowing, right? Not asking an important question doesn't mean we understand an issue more clearly. And it doesn't mean we've uncovered a real problem that needs to be addressed. All it means is that we remain unaware and can't do anything about it. So this shows up in business all the time. Recently, a senior level executive client of ours had an interaction with his CEO. The CEO had asked for candid feedback of ways to improve their business. After receiving the information from our client, he emailed back, this is excellent. Let's schedule a meeting to discuss. That's a great email to receive from your CEO. I asked our client, do you know what that means? For instance, when you read the words, this is excellent. Are you clear on what the CEO means by that? What is excellent from his perspective? My client's answer was no, I don't know that. So our recommendation was to prepare a question to start the meeting. Instead of flying blind, start with a good question to gain understanding and alignment. A question like this. Hey, CEO, it was great to get your email. I particularly like the phrase, this is excellent. And I'm curious, what did you mean by that? Another client had an interaction with a senior level executive. And this client was providing a quarterly report for that executive when he heard this phrase. Next time, let's make the report more strategic. Again, as I talked to our client about this, the question to him was, when your executive asks for a more strategic report, do you know what he meant by that? Again, the answer was no. So the preparation was, or the action was, reach back out to the senior executive and ask the question, when you say a more strategic report, help me understand what that looks like. Hmm. One of my early mentors in sales taught me a lesson. And it went like this. Whenever I returned from a client visit or a potential customer visit, she would ask me, how did it go? I begin debriefing. When she heard me use this phrase, well, I think she would immediately pause. Wait, did you say I think? As my voice began to tremble, I would say, yeah, I did say that. To which her response was, what do you mean you think? How come you don't know? Why didn't you ask the question 
to know. Rob Bell says it like this. Questions aren't scary. What is scary is when people don't have any. We can ask questions to gain clarity and alignment or not ask them and start guessing. Which one sounds like the greater risk? Okay, so now that we've decided to be courageous, right, to ad- address the risk, but understand that what's more important than the risk or what's a greater risk than not asking is not knowing, let's embark upon the skillful questioning journey. So where do we start? Everything starts with our mindset, our intent. So let's start with disposition. There are some key qualities that we want to possess as an effective questioner. For instance, we want to be curious, which is a great childlike trait. Childlike is not childish, right? Some reason along our adult journey, curiosity gets beaten out of us. If we could re-embrace our childlike curiosity, we'll be better questioners. The reality is I know what I think. I'm curious about what you think. And the only way I can know what you think is to ask you a good question. Along with curiosity, be sincere. Now, the word sincere, its root is in the Latin sine sera. Sine sera means without wax. So basically, when you compliment someone on being sincere, you're saying that they are wax-free, which means they are authentic, that they are not wearing a mask, that they are comfortable and confident in their unique flaws and their humanness. So as we ask questions and engage in the question process with people, we want to be real. No, no plastic, (laughs) authentic, curious, also thought evoking. Let's use questions that cause people to pause and say, hmm, man, that's a good question. Allow the question to do its job, which is create deep thought and understanding with another person, another quality, open. We never know what we're going to hear back from someone when we ask a question. So we've got to be open to whatever we hear and whatever they say and be willing to move with it. Finally, be willing to practice. Questioning is a skill. Taking the right tools and practicing hard over time will yield a skill that will serve you well. Years ago, I was conducting a workshop. And this particular workshop was on asking questions to build rapport. So building rapport with teammates within the workplace is critical for team success. So how to ask good questions to build rapport was the intent of our session. At the end of the session, we paused to debrief. I asked the team, what did you think about that? What's your experience like? When one woman stood up and said this, to me, it felt like manipulation. Man, I did not know how to respond to that. It caught me off guard. I paused. I thought. And then the response came to me. It is. If you're a manipulator, 
You see, the skill of questioning or the tools that we use for effective questioning have no spirit. They take on the spirit of the user. And if my intent or my goal is to get what's best for me, regardless of the cost to others, then I am using questions to manipulate. Or if I'm asking people questions in order to ensure that everyone benefits at the highest level, then I'm using this tool in its greatest form. It's up to you. So begin with disposition or mindset, then move to question design. And there are ways to design your skillful questions. The first is to determine your intent. What's the intent? And there are two main intents of a question. One is directional. A directional question gets a yes, no response. This question is asked. It might sound like, will you marry me? That's a directional question. And it gets a yes or no answer. A directional question starts with words like will, does, is, are. The other intent for a question is dialogue. So unlike a directional question, which yields yes or no, a dialogue question yields understanding. And that comes from conversation. And those questions begin with different words. Words like what, how, why, or the awesome phrase, tell me about. When you start a question with tell me about, the implication is you are expecting someone to have a conversation. You're creating space with those words. It's not a time-sensitive question. Now, example of how these might differ. For instance, a directional question might sound like this. Does this sound good? Right? So the answer is going to be yes or no. You could take that same idea and change it, and it could sound like this. How does this sound? Does this sound good? How does this sound? The key is to know what your intent is. Do you need the direction, the idea of will you marry me that's the right question at the right time. If you ask it too early, it's inappropriate. And if you never ask it, you'll never seal the deal. You'll remain single. So asking that directional question at the right time makes a lot of sense. And to know when to ask a dialogue question also makes a lot of sense. Here's the challenge with those questions. If you were to record yourself asking questions over the last month, the last 30 days, every question you asked, you recorded and you had transcribed, what you would find is that the large majority of your questions would be directional. That's the default space that most people go to. And the question is, why? You know, why is that the case? The answer is, they're easy. Asking yes, no questions, directional questions are easier. They feel more efficient and they might be when they're used well. They're not always effective and they also feel less risky. The opportunity for most of us is to trade in some of those directional questions for dialogue questions. In other words, 
switch over, become more of a dialogue questioner because of the understanding that it yields and the discipline it takes to really listen to someone with the intent to not judge, but to know them better and to understand them better. So consider that moving forward. Use more dialogue questions. The last step after disposition, which is mindset and design, is the delivery. And effective questions are more than selecting the right words. Selecting the right words is an important part, and it's not all there is. We have to add to that tone and gestures. For instance, we can use the same words with varying tones and and facial gestures or body posture, and the question is completely different. For instance, when a child might be apologizing to an adult for being rude, your kid's rude, you say, you got to apologize to that person, and your child goes up and says, I'm sorry. The words were correct. I'm sorry is appropriate apology language, except when it's delivered with a tone and gestures that say, I'm not really sorry. My dad is making me do this. So we know that. We see it in children. We don't always, uh, we're not always as aware of it on ourselves. So tone and gestures, brevity, questions that are shorter, that have less words, are almost always better. If the question is a run-on sentence and ends up being a paragraph, by the time you finish, your listener has no idea what you're asking. So tone and gestures, brevity, and then one at a time. Avoid the question train. That is three or four questions back to back as if you can't decide which one you really want them to answer. Or we call multiple choice questions. Multiple choice questions might sound like this. Let's say um, you're listening to a sportscaster interview an athlete after a game. They might say, wow, what a game. That must have been so emotional. What were you feeling out there? I mean, were you excited or were you afraid or were you sad? The question that was effective happened to sound like, what what were you feeling like out there? Question mark. Stop. But to add the three or four multiple choice questions afterwards dilutes the power of the question and it's unnecessary. Let the responder decide on their own. They don't need our A through C options. Okay, so skillful questions. They're really the result of disposition, design, and delivery. So here's something to consider. The person asking the questions is in charge. Now, I don't mean that in a controlling sense. In other words, they're not in charge as a oppressor. What I mean is that the person asking the question is the person who's guiding the conversation. The person asking is guiding. Think about life experiences when someone is asking questions. You're in a job interview. You're meeting with your boss. You're being interrogated by the police. We know who's leading and guiding those conversations because they're the people asking the questions. So if you want to be a leader in conversation or a leader in communication, you're going to need to be a skillful questioner. The person asking is leading. That's where the power is. 
Questions can be your best friend. Get comfortable with them. Get skillful with them. It'll be a game changer for you. If you find value in an additional weekly dose of encouragement, visit reviveyourwork.com backslash blog. That's reviveyourwork.com backslash blog. Or text REVIVE, R-E-V-I-V-E, to 33777. And consider subscribing to Revive Your Work in your favorite podcast platform. And give us a like or leave a comment. That means a lot to us. We'll see you next week as we continue our conversation that transcends the blurred lines between our personal and professional lives.